0: Pray for our pastor. He's out of town. Something about being with grandbabies or something. (laughs) We can forgive him for that, can't we? Some of you here still never heard me preach before. I better be careful. I can't even walk too far. You need to know some things about me. I am an individual that dearly loves to study church history, especially early early church history, when the church was born in this world by Jesus Christ. Amen? Lots of great things happened. On the day of Pentecost, thank you very much. My, my kids love this story in the Bible because the key phrase is, one guy preached a short sermon. <laughs> I can stop right there. They, they love that part. But 2,000 people got saved. Whew. You know, I, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not, you know, one of the great speakers that have lived in this world. But I will tell you this. What I pray for is that God will help me find the words that I can use and that I could say that will touch your life. Give you something that you can take home with you. Amen. Something that you can put in your toolbox. Something that later on in the week when, uh, when the devil tries to come along and seal the seed of the word out of your heart. You have a way of withstanding. Amen. Now, what do I do with this? That's going to hold me over, I think. <laughs> Not too long ago, uh, and and one of the reasons why I disappear, and I have to say this every time I preach, I disappear. I'm gone a lot, right? Wow. I don't get treated this well at home (laughs) I'm just kidding that's a joke (laughs) wow what was I saying (laughs) a little while back pastor preached a sermon on the kingdom of God any of you remember that you should it was a good it was a good and some of the things that he said, you know, you can't cover everything about the kingdom of God in one sermon. You know that? And uh, pastor wasn't trying to. He was just, he put across some real good points, and they, they burned a, a, a place in my heart. And, and for weeks now, since I heard that sermon, I've been mulling all that over and thinking about the kingdom of God. And a question rose up in my mind. How is the kingdom present? How is the kingdom present today. And I thought about all those things I mulled around in my heart and mind about the things that the pastor said about the kingdom of God, and, and most of the time, the things that accompanied the kingdom of God. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 11, chapter 14 through 23, and we're going to read one of those accounts of the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Luke 11, 14 through 23. Now, he was casting out a demon that was dumb. When the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts... How many of you know that God knows your thoughts? But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But listen carefully now. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom... Of God has come upon you say that with me the kingdom of God has come upon you one more time the kingdom of God has come upon you I can't help but notice that I I read over and over and over again that a manifestation of the kingdom of God involves a manifestation of the power of God does that make sense all right When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Father, I wanna thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the power of your word, it's living. May it pierce our hearts today May it make a great impression on us. May it change our lives. Cause my words, Father, to be your words, inspired by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. When Pastor Greg addressed this subject, we saw that in an unprecedented way, the kingdom of God arrived at the coming of Jesus. We see that. The kingdom of God arrived at the coming of Jesus. We saw also that the kingdom of God will only arrive in its fullness In the second coming of the Lord. So a process has started, right? Something has begun and something will be fully manifested in time. Amen? The mystery of the kingdom is the surprising fact that the kingdom comes in at least two stages. Does that make sense? If you just focus on what's happening in the New Testament, not just one. The king comes first on a donkey with a branch of peace and amnesty. That's one picture of Jesus, right? There was a song out a long time ago that was called Jesus I Heard You Had a Big House. And I thought it said, Jesus I Heard You Had a Big Horse. (laughs) And I misquoted the song, you know. I was 20-something years old, but one of the senior pastors corrected me. But guess what? Jesus does have a big horse, doesn't he? (laughs) The king comes first on a donkey with a branch of peace and amnesty. Later, he will come on a great white horse with a sword of judgment, right? How many of you would rather be on a horse of your own behind him rather than standing in front of him? I can ride a horse. All right. Many kingdom blessings have been fulfilled, but the complete consummation is still future. We haven't seen it all yet. The New Testament pictures all of history in these two ages. This age with its sin and misery and satanic power and the age to come with its righteousness and wholeness and freedom and joy. The mystery of the kingdom is that these two stages have intersected with the coming of Jesus. How many of you have heard of now but not yet? How many of you know that all the good things of God are available to us today? Amen. But the full manifestation of it won't be till he gets back. But how much can I expect to enjoy today in the present? We're going to find out in the word of God. In Hebrews chapter six verse five, it says, "We've tasted the powers of the age to come." You know what that reminded me of? My grandmother McKinney. That woman could work miracles with jello. I don't care what it was she could cook, fix, put things together. And grandma would make cakes, and she'd make dishes, and she would let me lick the spoon. I was that privileged, and I got a taste of the things to come, right? I got to lick the spoon and knew that whatever it was she was about to take out of the oven was going to be the fullness thereof. (laughs) And I was going to get to be the partaker. Now look, I'm trying to get something across and with God's help I can do it. Listen carefully to these things I wrote down. We know that Christ already purchased our healing, amen? But we still groan with sickness. Romans 8, 23 and 2 Corinthians 4, 16. From time to time we do, don't we? All right. We've already passed from death to life according to 1 John 3, 14. But we still die. We already have the sanctifying spirit as a down payment for our inheritance, but the war between the flesh and the spirit still goes on every day. We already have been acquitted of all sin in Christ, but must go every day praying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that trespass against us, amen? We already have our citizenship in the kingdom of God, but for now must still submit in measure to the rulers of the world. In a word, every blessing of the age to come is already ours in Christ. Amen? Amen, so be it. Amen, right? But God wills for us to come into our inheritance patiently. Have you ever noticed that everything in your life doesn't seem to be exactly what you like it to be? You ever notice that? And yet we know on the one hand God loves us. We know that Jesus has paid a great price to supply all of our needs. But sometimes does it appear like some of all of your needs aren't being met yet or haven't been met yet? Can you still trust Jesus? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So how do we approach our question today? How is the kingdom present? If the kingdom has come in Jesus, what is the power of the kingdom doing? How would you like to know that? What's the power of the kingdom doing? When I was in Bible college, the first class I took was an evangelism class, and I can still remember the very first lesson we were ever taught, and that is that Jesus is the epitome of evangelism. How many of you know what the word epitome means? Fancy word. It just means that Jesus is the very essence of evangelism. He is the very essence of evangelism. Jesus is it, amen? So when it comes to the embodiment of the kingdom, Jesus is the total embodiment or the epitome of the kingdom. Jesus himself, he is the king. And his demonstration of the kingdom is different. Now, I'm going to read you a series of scriptures because we're going to have to look at this first. Because Jesus did some things that he wants us to do. They involve miracles. And we're gonna look at those miracles. Now, before we go any further, how many of you believe this to be true? The greatest miracle that God does is the saving of a lost soul. Now, you hear me talk about a lot of things. God can bless us with the money we need. God can heal your sick child. God can take care of, you know, how many of you know that God is the greatest answer to mental illness? God is the answer to mental illness, amen? You know, the Bible says that God gives a spirit of love, power, and a what? Sound mind. You know what that is? He gives us sanity. Everybody who gets saved, he gives them a sound mind. That's why I say to people that rejecting the gift of salvation from God is pure insanity. It's insanity. Accept Jesus and receive a sound mind. Amen. Now, I'm going to show you a number of verses of Scripture where Jesus Christ manifested the kingdom of God, but his purpose makes him unique, makes him different, and we're never gonna be like that. We're gonna follow his example, but we're never gonna match the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, right? All right, I'll give you some examples. All right, before I do that, I wanna read John 14 and verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do because I am going to the Father, but he says, he says, also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How many of you want to like to be that person? You need to be careful. I want to be that person too. There was a woman I met in my early 20s when I was a young preacher and, you know, I, I just believe God can do anything. Amen. I mean, he can do anything. I still do. I still do. You need to hear this story. A woman showed up. I was pastor in my first church. This woman showed up in a wheelchair. And um, I got to know her. My wife and I got to know her really well. She had a neurological disease that was killing her. She was in a wheelchair. The first time she came to the church, she said, come here I have to be prayed for. God's going to heal me. So for six months, and, and you think, you know, we, we were in the Assemblies of God, and you, you could have a church service at the drop of a hat, and I've been known to drop the hat. So... We'd have three, four, or five services a week. She was at every one of them, and we'd pray for her. Church body pray for her, ask God to heal her. She's dying. I saw her medical records. It was, she was going to die a terrible death, and we prayed for her every one of those services for six straight months. And one night, she was transferring from a wheelchair into a car, and she fell between the car and the wheelchair, and she was paralyzed now from the neck down. And so she sent this child in to tell me, and she told the child, "Get Pastor, uh, pray for me, to pray for me." And I ran out. It was ten o'clock at night. We had a late service, and and um, I knelt down. And she couldn't move now from the neck down. Tears were rolling down her cheeks, and she said, "Pray for me." That's all she said. Now, I reached down to lay my hand on her arm. Why? Because I'm special. (laughs) No, I'm not special. I went to lay my hand on her upper arm to pray for her. And when I went to put my hand there, it's a glorious story. I love it. It was like a bolt of lightning struck and she knocked me down on her way up in the air. And she landed on her feet and she went to dancing. You're not laughing about my dance move, are you? Okay. (laughs) Okay. because I can bust a move. No, (laughs) no, no I can't. I I could not begin to imitate this woman. She was dying uh, one second and another second, she's up in the air, she hits the ground, she's dancing all over the place and I'm laying on the ground being stupid because I look up at her and I think to my 20-something-year-old self, come on father, why couldn't you have done that in front of a (laughs) packed-down house? You understand what I'm saying? Hey, I'm just being honest with you, right? It ain't going to do me any good to lie to you, is it? Why? Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. God wants to start using you. He wants to start doing things through you, but you better get your head on straight. Because if you don't, it will ruin you. Well, I, I really did. I asked God, Father, why didn't you do that in front of a packed-down house? You know, I mean, it had been, can you imagine the PR? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I'm just saying, it would have been a dynamic thing, right? There's 10 o'clock at night. There are not even any lights in that part of the parking lot. Nobody saw but me, her, and God, right? <laughs> but now it still had a great impact on the church because everybody knew this woman's dying, and now she's dancing, right? Over the next few weeks, word went abroad, you know, and people would ask me what happened. i said, well, nothing really. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All I could say was I went to lay hands on her, and God didn't let me touch her arm. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Do you ever reach a point where you're praying about something, and all of a sudden, down deep inside, you know the answer? You're asking God to please explain something to you, and he puts the answer on the inside. You You don't have to hear a voice. It's not weird. I call it my knower. (laughs) It just appeared in my knower. God was protecting me. From myself grasp hold of that I want the kingdom to be working in the present but I have to get ready for it I have to be ready for that and so do you so it was a nice miracle to say the least and God protected me from myself now truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. How many of you can say that this verse of Scripture has been manifested in your life completely? I'm not looking for a raising of hands I, But I can tell you that I haven't met a lot of people that that verse of Scripture is working full blast in them yet But is the Word of God real? Do you think Jesus was telling the truth? Then where do you think the problem lies? In a great house there are many vessels some to honor some to dishonor. Amen. You ever read that in the Bible? Well, all we got to do is get the vessel ready, amen? Look, look, I, I'm going to cut to the chase here. We're, we're going to cover some good things here, and it ain't going to take long. It's not a big, long, huge, giant giant sermon. But what I'm just trying to do is get you ready for the coming revival. That's all I'm trying to do. Just get you ready for the coming revival. How many of you want the revival? Well, you better get ready. Don't you you do not just sit there. You got some oil in your lamps. You got to get ready. You understand what I'm saying? It's time to, to get where the rubber meets the road, right, and get ready, all right? Or this is just words. Maybe I can say a few things and make you laugh. Maybe we can giggle together, you know? Well, that's not my purpose here. It's to get you ready, right? Remember when I said I'm a, a, a student of, of uh, church history in the early church? They had that outpouring. 2,000 people got saved in one day, and God added daily to the church, as he saw fit to do, amen? Well, that could never happen again. That was in the early church, I mean. But, and the Holy Spirit's different today. He's moved on and others moved in. <laughs> no, the Holy Spirit's still the Holy Spirit, amen? Same Holy Spirit, same church, people, same church, you know. Now, I will tell you this. You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again, get it over with, and we'll move on. The church in America is going through a state of apathy, am I right or wrong? But let me tell you this thing I've known throughout church history is this. In the world's darkest hours, there have always been pockets of God's outpouring of His Spirit in places. Why not Anchorage, Alaska? Why not? Why not here? Amen? Okay. All right. All right, I'm going to give you an example. When Jesus turned the water into wine, John says, "This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory." So, what, what exactly, what exactly do you mean with that? You back up just in John chapter one verse fourteen, you find out that the glory John tells us is the glory as of the only Son of the Father. Point of clarity: John five verse thirty-six. Jesus says. The works which the Father has granted me to accomplish, these very works which I am doing, bear me witness that the Father has sent me. What I'm telling you is the uniqueness of the manifestation of the kingdom of God through Jesus and, and, and how it's different for us. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's same, only different? <laughs> it's the same, only different. We're not going to be a part of any miracle outpouring of God to establish that we're the only begotten of the Father because we're not it, right? All right, more proof. All right, we have another example in the resurrection of Lazarus, which we'll come back to. Jesus' explanation to Martha of what was about to happen was not, I am full of the Spirit and can do the works of God that other Spirit-filled people can do. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus manifested the kingdom of God through miracles it was to establish the truth that he was the one and only begotten son of God. That's not our our thing. It's not our job. And Jesus Christ was unique that way. Let's let him be unique anyway. I think it's important. All right, in John chapter 11 verse, verse 42 it says, "I have said this on account of the people standing by that they may believe." That you sent me, John 11, 42, that was just before he called Lazarus out of the grave. Now, that has to do with resurrections. We're going to get back to that. But what I'm trying to put across to you is those were examples of things that Jesus wants us to do, but to leave off the part about establishing because we're not him. Jesus is unique. We should let him be unique anyway. You look at it, right? All right, so we're talking about the kingdom of God in the present. I hope that I've piqued your interest. There are eight things that only take a couple of minutes to, to cover here, eight powerful effects of the kingdom. What blessings did the arrival of the kingdom bring? I'm going to mention eight of these effects, and I'll say in advance that I believe all of these are still at work today through the disciples of Je- <clears throat> excuse me, disciples, disciples of Jesus. That's us. Amen. Thank God for water. Number one, the kingdom overcomes physical misery and brings healing. In Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, Jesus sends out the 70 disciples and tells them. Now, listen to me carefully. He sent out 70 disciples. You might be able to argue me that the apostles were special and, you know, Jesus did things with them he's not going to do with us. That's not true. But these are 70 disciples later. These aren't the 12 apostles. And here's what he said to them. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You can't separate the kingdom of God from the miracles. The kingdom overcomes physical misery and brings healing. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Note the connection between the coming of the kingdom and the healing of the sick. Heal and say the kingdom has come near. I think this is a tremendously important part of Jesus' ministry. He preached the kingdom and healed the sick again and again and again and again and again. This was his basic style of ministry. We used to call it in the police work, that'd be his MO, his modus operandi. It's what he did on a regular basis. You see this especially in the summary of verses like... Matthew four twenty three. he went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing some diseases. All of them. All diseases and some infirmity. No, it's every infirmity among the people. That was in three different verses of Scripture. I think it's amazing. Every disease, every infirmity. That was not merely an occasional thing. Healing sick was the meat and potatoes of his ministry. I'm from the South. I use analogies like that. He preached the kingdom and he healed. It's clear that one effect of the arrival of the kingdom in Jesus' ministry is overcoming physical ministry. Does he still do it today? You better believe it. Number two, the kingdom overcomes death and brings resurrection. When Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, it says in Matthew 10, 7 through 8, that he told them, preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead. They were to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were to perform certain signs, including the raising of the dead. So one of the ways the kingdom comes is by overcoming death and bringing resurrection. Now, I've got to talk about this for a minute, simply because it's in the Bible. Amen? I don't leave it out, simply because. When was the last time you saw somebody raised from the dead? I mean raised from the dead. I mean they've been gone several days. How many of you heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth, uh, the story is told that he prayed for his dead wife and she was resurrected and she was angry at him as mad as a wet hen because she was in heaven with Jesus and she got raised from the dead and had to leave heaven and come back to Smith. I don't know, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> I've had Ruthie upset with me over a lot of things, but <laughs> Never from bringing her back from the presence of Jesus. It didn't happen. Why do I mention this, though? Jesus himself, you know, only raised three people from the dead in his lifetime. We only know the name of one of them. It was Lazarus, right? Another was a little girl. Another was a little boy. How many believe that Jesus could have raised a whole lot more people? I mention this because it says part of the kingdom. You know, I mean, people can be raised from the dead, right? Well, the disciples, we have an account of two people raised from the dead. Um, Peter prayed for Tabitha, translated Dorcas. She was a dear sweet sister in the church. She got sick and died, and they called for Peter, and Peter went and prayed for her, and God raised her from the dead. Exciting, isn't it? And then you had Paul, who was preaching one time, and he preached so late, a guy in the window fell out, hit the ground, and died. My kids used to love to remind me of that. He preached so long, Dad. <laughs> but they went and prayed for him. He was raised from the dead, and it said they had church all night long after that, right? But of all of the things that could be manifest by the power of God, why wouldn't resurrecting people from the dead be a real showstopper? I mean, be like lots and lots and lots and lots of them. I can think of one reason. I don't think it'd be a blessing to die more than once. All those people that got raised from the dead have one thing in common, they all died again. You get my drift? Can you see why it might not be one of the more popular manifestations of the power of God, right? Right, ask Miss Wigglesworth's wife when you get to heaven one day, (laughs) how she feels about it, all right? I'm just saying that I needed to give it honorable mention because it's one of the things that Jesus said could happen. And you don't know that in your lifetime you're not gonna need it one day. And if you need it, if you trust God, do you believe it can happen? You better believe it. All right. Number three, the kingdom overcomes demonic oppression and brings deliverance. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus says, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You can't separate the miracles from the kingdom of God. Amen. And if Jesus is on the inside of you and he's the epitome of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is manifest on the inside of you. Why don't you take everything that comes in the package? Amen? Now, here's the thing. I, I was looking at this. I was intrigued by it. 39 books in the Old Testament. I can't find but five that ever mention the devil. I can't find but five. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. I, of the 39 books, I can find five that mentioned the devil, but yet, as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, the fight ensues. You start reading about Satan right away, really, right? He comes to resist. He, he, he meets Jesus in the wilderness and and, and passes on temptations to Jesus. And Jesus passes with flying colors, right? So the arrival of the kingdom brings an unprecedented conflict with Satan and his demons. It's amazing, considered in the whole Old Testament, only about five of the 39 books even mention Satan. And nowhere does any prophet or priest or king or wise man cast out any demons the Old Testament. But as soon as Jesus is on the scene, he's in conflict with Satan in the wilderness, and his ministry involved casting out many demons. Matthew 10, 1, Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. So it's clear that something unprecedented is in the offing here with the coming of the kingdom of God. Point number five, the kingdom overcomes rebellion and brings conversion. This is my favorite. Stop there for a second. This is my favorite. Forget with me for a minute about all of those other miracles there is no greater miracle than someone getting saved. There, I said it again. Wake up. Don't fall out the window and die on me. <laughs> the greatest miracle that we can talk about today is somebody getting saved. That's it. That's it. I I could walk out in front of this building today and get hit by a Greyhound, Greyhound bus. I guess that would be something because. I don't think there's any Greyhound buses in Alaska, but but get a leg cut off. Can I still go to heaven minus a leg? So my salvation is more important than my leg, isn't it? My salvation is more important than any physical manifestation of a miracle in my life. Amen? All right. The kingdom overcomes rebellion and brings conversion. Jesus made clear that no one enters the kingdom without being what? Converted. In Matthew 8 and 3, truly I say to you, unless you have turn or be converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What power brings about this conversion from rebellious, proud independence to submissive, humble, childlike dependence on God? The answer is the power of the kingdom itself. The kingdom is the power. Oh, I love this. In Matthew chapter 13, listen carefully to these words. Verses 47 through 50. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. Stop right there. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. Say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a net which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish. So, am I correct in saying that the kingdom is the power that gathers fish? Yeah. Isn't that what it says? The kingdom of heaven is like a net which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish. So, the kingdom is the power that gathers fish. How many of you could imagine a fish waking up in the morning thinking, man, I need to find me a net to jump into? (laughs) No, they don't think like that. They end up in the net, right? Someone catches them with a net. Fish don't jump into the net. Matter of fact, they try to get out of the net. Therefore, the kingdom itself overcomes rebellion and brings conversion. Got to speed up a little bit. Kingdom overcomes condemnation. Number five, the kingdom overcomes condemnation and brings forgiveness. The great obstacle to salvation is that we're guilty of sin and under the just condemnation of God. Guilty as charged. I would not go to heaven without Jesus. How many of you ever looked at things in the Bible and saw all these good things that we need to do and said, well, I can do that one, I can do that one, I can do that one, but man, I have a problem with that one, I have a problem with that one, I have a problem with that one. Let me tell you something. There's nothing on that list you don't need God's help to meet the need. If you could meet that need of anything on that list without God's help, Jesus died on the cross in vain. Have you ever found yourself sitting in church? Because how many of you know the devil attends church? Someone, goes, I know, I know he does. <laughs> no, listen to me carefully. Have you ever been sitting in a church service you heard a preacher say something that made you look inside, and all of a sudden you got fearful? Because the thought rose up on the inside of you, I don't meet that. That's not right in my life. Well, it needs to be right. But when fear rises up on the inside of you, there's only one thing you can do. Turn to God. You can't meet any of the things on the list you need to meet without his help. If an evil man knows how to give good gifts to his child, how much more? So your father in heaven. You know, you, you may sit here today and say, God can't use me to work miracles. You know what? Not a requirement. It's not a requirement. You don't have to do it. But, but, but if the manifestation of the kingdom of God in your life draws some lost soul to the kingdom of God and they get saved, wouldn't it be worth it? Well, you're one prayer away. You're just one prayer away. <laughs> If you could do it by yourself, I think I'm going to just grit my teeth down and I'm going to make it happen. No, it's prayer. Get ready for God to use you for the kingdom to be manifest in your life. The great obstacle of salvation is that we're guilty of sin and under the just condemnation of God. Why then is it that tax collectors and harlots go into the kingdom of God before chief priests and elders? Why is it that the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who at the end of the day hires people for one hour's work and yet gives them... Pay for a full day. The answer is given in Matthew eighteen twenty-three through 25. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who called his debtors to account. And when one of them pleads for mercy concerning a great debt, the king has pity and forgives him everything he owes. One prayer away from being used by God to manifest his kingdom. And we know from this side of the cross how the king did it. Number six: the kingdom overcomes wrongdoing and brings righteousness. Jesus taught us to pray, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done." Where the kingdom of God comes, the will of God is done. Justice and righteousness abound." Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, "The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness. So the kingdom of God overcomes wrongdoing. Are you a mess? I'm a mess. I'm a mess. <laughs> Outside of Jesus, I'm a mess. God overcomes wrongdoing. It changes the way people live. It brings justice and righteousness. You want prayer away? Just ask God to help. Number seven, the kingdom overcomes sadness and brings joy. It's obvious that the kingdom brings life and healing and deliverance, conversion, and forgiveness and righteousness. Then it should also bring great joy. Amen. But Paul makes a point explicit in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, when he says, The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom overcomes sadness and brings joy even in the midst of suffering. Number eight, the kingdom overcomes aimless futility and brings pu- purposeful ministry. How many of you ever felt like, you get frustrated, you just, I just wish God would use me. I just wish he'd use me, you know and you feel like your efforts are futile? I'm the only one that ever happens to you, right? The kingdom overcomes aimless futility and brings purposeful ministry. I take this point from Revelation chapter 1, verse six, where John says, Jesus has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. What the kingdom creates when it draws men and women into its power, is a priesthood of believers. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you belong to a royal priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2.9. Look at the person next to you and quietly say, you are a priest. You're a priest. The kingdom has come, and it's overcome the aimlessness and futility of our lives and given us an awesome reason to live. We are a royal priesthood. You are a priest to God and to man. It's it. No one fell out of a window, no one died. Why why did I go here today? Because the kingdom of God is in all of us. Everyone that has Jesus on the inside, the kingdom of God's manifest in you. Now, we are weak on our knowledge of the potential, right? But no need to remain weak, right? The Bible says the truth will set you free, right? Now, listen to me carefully. That's not exactly accurate. Very hard for me to say this because it makes it sound like I'm saying the Bible's wrong, but I'm not. It's not the truth that will set you free. What is it? The truth you know will set you free. Hey, the book is full of truth, and I could put it, I could use it for a pillow, and I still wouldn't absorb the goodies in it, right? Right? But if I crack the book open and I read it, read a little bit every day, and feed on the truth, the truth will change me. It'll change me. It will set me up to get ready to be used as a tool in the hands of God to manifest his kingdom. Amen? Amen, I'm telling you. Look, it's just a little, just, it's simple. Be a person of prayer. Say, well, Brother Dennis, do you have a prayer closet? My life is a prayer closet. I talk to God everywhere I go. I don't grab a door handle without talking to God, you know. I talk to him about everything, you know. I spend a lot of time thanking him for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me afresh and new of all of my sins and all of my shortcomings. And, and Jesus, please heal me, forgive me, heal me, and use me anyway. Are you hearing me? You're not... There's nothing that's so battered, beaten, bruised, ugly, and trashed out that God can't do something with it. Amen? God can do anything. Trust him. So be people of prayer. Be people of the word. The more you know, the more you know, the the freer you're going to be. And the more used by God you're going to be. And think of it this way, you know. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. All I want to do is pray for you that God will build a revelation of his kingdom that's on the inside of you. All you've got to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you live it out from the inside out. Amen. And I will tell you one more time here real quick. Be careful. Because when God starts to move, the flesh wants to rise up and take credit. Can you imagine being 20-something years old? And uh, people flocking into the church to want to see the man that laid hands on that woman and prayed for her. And God healed her of her dead. Everyone knew she was dying. Do you understand what I'm saying? And God healed her. All right. I didn't get to do anything. Wasn't me. But if someone saw me lay hands on that woman and pray for her, they might think that I had something special to do with it. Now, look, if you obey God and lay hands on somebody and pray for them and God heals them, you had a part, but you weren't it. You weren't the do-all, the end-all. And you better be careful. I was told uh, these three things by my mentor starting out in the ministry as a young man. The three G's. Don't touch the gold, don't touch the girls, and don't touch the glory. (laughs) I don't have to tell you how dangerous that touching the glory is. (laughs) amongst other things right but don't try to steal god's glory you know if a man is a master builder and grabs a hammer and builds a house and so you can admire the house does the hammer get credit for it all we are is a tool in the hands of god that's it listen to me i've got to get this in and i'm going to pray and we're going to go all right when it's not late We can't keep mulling through this life. We can't do it. We serve an awesome God. There is a responsibility that comes with serving an awesome God. It would behoove us to find out what God wants us to do and do it. All right. Because you don't want to be called ignoring father. All right. Look at me. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. God had every one of you here today to hear this message for a reason. All right? And what God's saying is get ready. Just get ready. Now, if you want to be a part of this revival, all I want you to do is stand up. I want to pray for us all. How many of you know we all need prayer? Amen? All right. I'm going to pray. And then, Brother Lee, I believe we got one more song. Or is there one more song we're going to do? Got one more song? No? Okay. Thank you all right father in Jesus mighty name I want to lift up this group to you today and father I know some of the toughest messages we speak are some of the ones that are most difficult to follow and and we're not always real real good at it real expert at it but father I know your word is life it's truth and I believe you've gotten across to us today that you want to help get us ready for the next step when, when everything else looks tough, you know, when everything else looks like, oh, we, we need more money to meet the bills, I'm not worried about any of that, Father. You're taking care of that. What you want us to get ready for is the next great step in your revival. Father, I believe that your hand still rests on Anchorage, Alaska. I believe that you want to manifest yourself in great and mighty ways. Father, when I think about those 2,000 people getting saved in one day, I can hardly contain myself. Father, I know that if you pour out your spirit, I know, Father, that if we just ask you to help us get ready and you work on each and every one of us, help us, Father, in Jesus' name, to forsake the sin that so easily besets us. Strengthen us, Father, I pray in your word strengthen us in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us afresh and new of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. And if no one else in the world will listen, help us to be the people that hear, Father, in Jesus' name. Manifest yourself in our lives today and cause people around us to be hungry for what you're doing because that's what's most important. I don't know everything that's going to happen in the future, Lord, but I thank you that you've introduced me to your son Jesus Christ because he knows everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen.